Lord Jesus Christ. You are worthy to receive glory and honor. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the mighty victor, conqueror of death and hell. You hold the keys. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Spirit, what I am asking you to do now is just what you have been doing, what you are always about doing. Would you move in power to exalt the person of Jesus Christ through the gift of preaching? Father, I'm asking you to pour your spirit out upon this body. Have your way right here within this church. Let your kingdom come here. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Captivate us by your love. Fill us with your spirit. Ground us to your truth. Use us for your glory. Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Before I jump into what I want to say to you this morning, I want to tell you about something that is coming on the horizon that is very it's it's burning deeply within my heart I believe deeply within the heart of the staff and the heart of our elders I believe it's burning deeply in many of your hearts as well I want to introduce that by reading a verse out of Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, would you just open to that for a second? This is not what I'm going to preach from. I just want to use a text here to just share my heart with you as your pastor for a moment. It says in Acts chapter 1.8, Jesus speaking to his followers just prior to his ascension back to heaven following his 
crucifixion and his resurrection, he says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that promise was fulfilled in the second chapter of Acts and then the story of Acts is example after example of the reality of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. What I am, what's beating deeply in my heart and the call that I want to make to this church is that we would come together for a season of time to call upon the Lord together to ask Him to pour His Spirit out upon us for the purpose of us having the power to be his witnesses in our world to beg God to do that for us. Not just a witness when we're behind the four walls of this building. The lost are out there. That we would be empowered and emboldened to walk out of here every week on mission for Jesus Christ and would be doing that in power with power that would shake this city like the believers there in the first century shook the city of Jerusalem and beyond. July beginning Sunday, July the 8th for three weeks. I want to have this as a focus. So it'll actually be 22 days. It'll include four Sundays, three weeks and a day. So starting Sunday the 8th of July and then ending uh, 22 days later on the 29th. We will be talking about this meeting together uh, on, first of all, on Sunday night, July the 8th. When I come together here as a body, I am praying that God would put this on the hearts of our people and that there would be a massive group that would show up here, that we would pack this place out, and it'll be a time of us to come together in unity to pray to seek the face of God regarding Cornerstone Church, to ask for the reality of Acts 1-8 to be our reality, to have corporate prayer together for that. And then between the first and last Sunday, on three consecutive Wednesdays, we'll meet. And we'll come together on those Wednesday nights and we'll pray together We'll worship together. And because we are asking God, we're seeking his face and asking him to say whatever he wants to say to us, you'll have a chance to share what God has been saying 
to you as you have been seeking his face. So starting July the 8th, 22 days, just to be entering into a time of prayer, I am encouraging many of you to, I'm encouraging all of you, if your health permits, to do some fasting during that time. I'll actually do some uh, quick instruction teaching on fasting probably on that first Sunday night on the 8th. Encourage you to take some time throughout that time to fast and pray as we seek God's face together. If you are a prayer warrior and intercessor, I'm asking you to put this at the top of your list and that you would help us pave the way by praying that God would have his way when we come together for this seeking of the face of God. There'll be some more information coming. I just wanted to give you a little teaser on it this morning. Okay. Happy Father's Day, fathers. What I want to do this morning for the message is going to be very different for me. I am primarily, actually, the the longer that I preach, uh, the more and more I have the deep conviction that God has called me to be an exegetical preacher, to take a passage of Scripture, a book, or a section of Scripture and just sequentially, uh, diligently study and work in preaching to unfold the truth of God as it comes. I'm not saying that I feel more spiritual preaching that way than a topical form uh, of preaching. That's just the conviction that God has laid upon my heart for my giftings and my call. So that's where I'm most comfortable. However, a very notable, wise man wrote these words a long time ago. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then he followed that statement with a list of examples. Such as there's a time to be born and a time to die. Time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, time to love and a time to hate. It gives an extensive list there in Ecclesiastes. I'm going to add for the sake of this morning one example to his list. There's a time to exegete and, the, and a time to tell a story. And what I want to do this morning is I want to tell a story. On this Father's Day, I want to tell a story, actually three or four stories related to me and my father, my earthly father. And I want to do that within the venue of a hobby that my father and I have participated in my, my entire life. Now, the focus of the stories and the lessons that will be drawn from them has nothing to do with the hobby. The hobby is really irrelevant. But there are life lessons grounded in biblical truth that I want to bring out to you, to all of you, 
but particularly, I want to challenge fathers from a model, an example that I had in my father. Let me just give you a, an opening story. Some of you may have heard this if you've been here for a number of years, but I'll give you an opening story just to introduce the hobby, the venue within which these stories will fit. I grew up throughout my young adolescent years, really even in my toddler years, with an appendage attached to my hand. It was a Red Ryder BB gun. And I just remember, I don't remember very many things, but I can remember this. I can remember coming home from school day in and day out with the anticipation of the thrill of grabbing my Red Rider, going to the backyard, hopping the fence into the wild of the railroad tracks and spending the afternoon gun in hand on the hunt, honing my skills. And what happened during that time in my own heart two things clearly happened. I developed a love for the hunt and I developed proficiency as a marksman with that Red Rider BB gun. When you do something over tens of thousands of times, you can get very proficient at it. And that I did. Shooting those little round steel projectiles night after night. I was always looking for a challenge, something to hone my skills even more. I could, and this is not, I'm not saying this to brag, but it's a, it, it's a great story if you haven't heard it. I could, at 10 or 15 paces, I could, I could shoot the, uh, the eraser on a pencil, just about every shot. I could shoot toothpicks in two at 10 or 15 paces with my Red Rider. So, looking for a greater challenge, I realized that the shell of a 22 was just about the same approximate diameter as the eraser on a pencil. And there was at least with a loaded cartridge, there was a built-in notification system in a loaded 22 cartridge. You see, a 22 cartridge is a rimfire cartridge. I won't get too technical here, but what that means is that the way that you discharge a 22 cartridge is that the firing pin in the gun has to hit the head of the shell on the edge, on the rim in order to discharge the shell. And so it would be nothing to just hit the brass of a 22 shell, but hitting the rim would be a great challenge. And so one afternoon, all alone at the house after I got home from school, loaded 22 shell in my hand, 
I prepared for what might be similar to like Top Shot. This will mean something to some of you. Top Shot Challenge 1973. And I took that shell and I set it on the fence post in the backyard and I took every precaution. I made sure that the bullet end of the shell was pointing away from me and the plate glass window of my father's den behind me. And I lined up on the patio 10 or 15 paces away and I took aim and I squeezed the trigger and true to aim, I hit the shell right on the rim. And it worked just like it was supposed to work. The discharge, that is. But as good as a marksman as I was, I was not very good in the laws of physics at eight or nine years old. And the bullet of the shell being heavier than the empty case now of the shell energy will travel in the path of least resistance so that the shell coming back was going at least as fast or faster than the bullet going forward. And it went by, I didn't see it, but I sure heard it, whiz by my ear inches away, but luckily I was left unscathed. The den window, however, had a direct hit. And what I found out when my father got home, you see, my father, my father was a good marksman himself. A good marksman with his weapon of destruction and a good marksman with his hand of discipline. And when he got home, he scored a direct hit with the ladder. But that did not in any way discourage my love for the hunt. And in fact, almost over 40 years now, the hunt has been what my father and I have yearly spent a couple of weeks engaging in as the hobby that we both love. And some of the stories of the adventures that we have been on can poignantly illustrate some great lessons that a son learned from a father. Lessons that the Father in heaven is calling all fathers on earth to teach to their children. Let me read a passage of scripture and then I'm going to relate it to this first story that I want to tell. Passage of scripture is Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus Christ has just given what is called throughout Christendom the greatest message ever preached. And he concludes it with this illustration. Verse 24 to 27 of Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The first story I want to tell you is about the storm. Alaska is truly a wild frontier. There is incredibly rugged geography, intensely unforgiving climate, and very isolated locations that you can access in Alaska. And it was in one of those locations that my father and I were dropped off many years ago on the Alaskan Peninsula. Dropped off on the beach. We made our way after the plane took off up the beach over the crest of the hill beyond the reach of the farthest wave up onto the grassy knoll. And there we spent the rest of a long day with a lot of work digging in and preparing our camp. You see, the Alaska Peninsula, if you know anything about the Alaska Peninsula, the birthplace of the winds, it is a very unforgiving place. We had prepared as best we knew how. We had purchased a tent that was called the bombshell tent, rated at 110 mile an hour winds heavy-duty aircraft, aluminum poles, multiple tied-down places all around the tent, if you could find something to tie it to, to anchor it in. But the problem was there was, other than some light grass and endless sand under it, there there was nothing above ground to anchor the tent to. And so what we did is we went to the beach and we carried large pieces of driftwood up from the beach and we placed them on all four sides of the tent and then we dug trenches, four foot to five foot deep trenches all around the perimeter of the tent and we tied ropes to those logs of driftwood, dropped them to the bottom of the trench and then covered them over with four or five feet of sand so that we had anchors that were basically unmovable. 
and then we tied them to every lash down point on the tent. It took, again, the larger part of a day and a lot of hard work to get that done. But we were prepared, and then for about four or five days, we had almost 70-degree weather, not a cloud in the sky. (laughs) Honey and T-shirts. October on the peninsula, that is highly unusual. We got a tan. And then at about day five, We had harvested our game. We were back at camp taking a little afternoon siesta on the cot inside the tent and a light breeze picked up. Came up off the water, up the beach, over the crest of the hill and began to rustle the tent. About an hour later, that light breeze had turned into a light gale. About 30 minutes after that, I was up off my cot because I watched the corner of the tent and those heavy-duty aircraft aluminum poles and the multiple tie-downs were having a very difficult time They were actually losing the battle, trying to withstand the force of the wind hitting that corner of the tent. And so I got up and I began to push on the inside of that corner. 30 minutes later, my father was up on the adjacent corner because he saw that there was no way that the tent was going to withstand the full force gale that was now blowing. And over the next 10 hours, we, me on my corner, him on his corner, this wasn't a gust, it was a constant blow. We pushed as hard as we could push to keep the tent from being crushed and collapsing and then being shred by the wind. At the end of that, as the sun began to come up the next day, the sun rose and the wind abated and we collapsed, exhausted. But we were intact and all of our gear was intact. The Alaska Peninsula, true to its nature, had sent its storm Upon us. Ladies and gentlemen, true to its nature, life will send its storms upon you. Fathers, true to its nature, life will send its storms upon your children. And what you need to do as a father is be prepared for the storm. 
a part of your calling as a father is to get your children prepared for the storms that life will send. First lesson that I want to bring out here that I learned from my father is this. Has to do with when to prepare for the storm. And the time to prepare for the storm is before it hits. The time to prepare for the storm is when it is calm. The time to prepare your children for what life will throw them is when they are under your protection, under your care, under the safety and watchfulness of your hand. That's the time to get them anchored. Because if you try to wait until the storm hits, there is no battening down the hatches in a gale-forced wind. My father taught me that lesson. Not just on the, the occasion that I just explained to you, but many occasions throughout life and not at all just in the wild, but the time to prepare for life's hard times is before the hard times hit. In fact, I'll make that even more refined. The time to prepare is right now. Look again at the passage that Jesus states here. Look at the certainty, almost the promise of the storm. He is giving the example of two lives. One is a life of an individual who is obeying his word. One is the life of an individual who is not, but look at the storms that each of them faced. Verse 25, the wise man, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house. Then the foolish man, the rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house. The lesson is this. Storms are no respecter of persons. They're coming. The promise of Jesus here. He said it in one other location. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the first point here is this, for all of us, particularly for fathers, our job is to be preparing our children for whatever life will throw them and it will throw them some storms. And it's the time right now to help get them ready. 
That's when to prepare. What about how to prepare? I want to give you a couple of truths from the illustration that I gave that are biblical as well. First of all, how do you prepare? You need the right foundation. You need the right foundation. Just like our tent needed to have a solid foundation, if we would have just taken on that clear day that we landed and put a few tent pegs down into the soft sand and said, that'll be fine, five days later, we would have been exposed in the elements. If we would have purchased anything other than the quality of tent that we had purchased and anchored that to the right foundation, we would have been exposed. What is the right foundation? Before I answer that, let me tell you what will not provide a suitable foundation to weather life storms. Dads, you need to listen to this because here is where we can have a tendency to gravitate toward. Money is not going to help you or your children weather the storms of life. Education and intellect will not make you or them immune to what life will throw. Health and fitness will not be a bulwark against the storms of life. Position and title. will not save. History is full of stories of storms that have blown through and devastated foundations built upon finances and foundations built upon intellect and foundations built upon position. You see, when the storm hits, What you need, what your child needs is to be lashed to something bigger than the storm. That's the key. They need to be lashed to something bigger than the storm. Not only do they need the right foundation, they need the right equipment. A $74 tent at Walmart would not have done the trick. We had purchased the right tent. We had anchored it in the right way. And then we had used all of our strength in the midst of the storm to help it sustain the fury. So the right foundation, the right equipment, and then... You need the right companions. 
You need to find the right companions. Your children need to have the right companions. Those who are as well committed to being prepared before the storm hits. Companions who will come alongside and lend a hand when the storm blows through their lives. And you'll need to model that for them to catch it. You see, through a variety of circumstances in life, that story just being one, my father taught me about when to prepare for a storm. It's when the sun was shining. And he taught me that I needed the right foundation and the right equipment and the right companions. In Matthew chapter 7, look at that verse, that passage again. The big truth in this passage is all about the foundation. That's the contrast. It is all about the foundation. For the wise man, the house did not fall. The life did not fall because he had its foundation built upon the rock. Notice, here's a little ex. Here's a little exegete now. Move away from the story to a little exegete. Notice here that there are only two foundations. There's the foundation of the rock and the foundation of the sand. And I believe, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus meant to teach that precisely. There are only two foundations. One and only one foundation will work. And the other notable reality about that is that everything else that's not that one foundation, regardless of what form it comes in, is impotent, ineffective, unable to withstand the storms that life will bring. There's only one foundation that will, one that at the end of life will still keep you and your children standing. We'll look at what that is in a moment. Jesus said, he identifies right here what the foundation is. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You see, the foundation is directly tied to the person of Jesus Christ. It's tied to who he is, and the truth that he came to bring. So that any other foundation than that foundation will be absolutely impotent 
unable to help you or your children through life. You build a strong foundation of material wealth for them. It's not a bad thing. Encourage you if you are able to do that, but that is not going to sustain. Encourage them to pursue and advance themselves through education. That is a great benefit in life, but it will not sustain. Jesus Christ, who he is, and his truth is the only foundation that is the rock. Everything else is the sand. So the paramount question then, this is to Brad Suter as a father, to you as a father, whether you have an infant or adolescent or whether you have a 30 or 40-year-old, my father is still teaching me these lessons. There is time. Here is the question. How do you build the right foundation? And Jesus tells us right here. He tells us right here. He gives us the two keys to building life on the right foundation. Fathers, this then is your calling. Jesus said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Do you know what the words of Jesus are? They certainly are that sermon, but really these are right here. Jesus Christ, when he was here, endorsed the Old Testament as the very word of God. He said to those on the Emmaus road, referring to all of the Old Testament, that all of the scriptures spoke about him. And then the New Testament, the four Gospels are the story of Jesus. And then Acts is the history of the church as it exploded with the message of Jesus. And then all of the rest of the letters of the New Testament are the interpretations of the teachings of Jesus by his apostles. It's all about Jesus Christ. Fathers, your calling by God is to help your children Build their lives upon the rock. It is the only rock. Everything else is sand. Everything else is sand. My father taught me that. And you build into their lives that strong foundation. You dig the trenches down deep and you lay the anchors solid by having them hear the word of God and obey it. Hear the word of God and obey it. Hear the word of God and obey it. 
Story number two, the shot, the shot. Probably only in Alaska can I get by with telling a story like this. My father and I were hunting doll sheep. Actually, back up my Lake George, back up Friday Creek. And we spotted a nice ram a couple of miles away and made a long stock. But because of the terrain, we're not able to get as close as we wanted. This was back in the day before every hunter had a rangefinder in his pocket. We had techniques of estimating range that we had been kind of honed and were effective at, at least most of the time. And we estimated what we thought the range was. It was a long shot, but my father is a very proficient marksman and so I spotted and he shot and he took the first shot, pulled the trigger and I could tell that the animal had been hit but I could not see where. What we found out later was it was a absolutely superficial little nick in the very bottom of its leg right by the hoof. Just basically it needed a band-aid but we didn't know that. Nor could I tell because of the terrain where the bullet was hitting. And he shot, and he shot, and he shot every shell he had, save one. And we had just pretty significantly underestimated the distance. And he stopped. We, were, we had absolutely no idea We thought we had a significantly wounded animal and one bullet left. And this is just a story to illustrate what happened over and over and over again in my relationship with my father. He stopped and he said, we're going to pray to pray and passionately with emotion and zeal he begged God to guide that bullet and he put that bullet in the chamber and he pulled the trigger and instantly that ram dropped and never flinched Here's what I learned. I learned that God cares about the details. And I learned that because I had a father that on big ticket items or what we would consider minute items, he took the details of our lives to God. And I learned that God cared about the details because he answered the prayers many, many times. Now, if you're opposed to hunting, you're not going to like that connection with the 
answer of God, but there were a hundred times when other things took place where my father would take the details of life regardless of what the circumstances were and regardless of who was around and take those details to the Lord and God would show up and I learned the lesson that God cares. He cares about the details. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 This verse really jumps out to me regarding my father and a key lesson that I learned from him illustrated by that story. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And this statement right here, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Ladies and gentlemen, what we need is God to guide our paths. Fathers, what your children so desperately need is they need God guiding their path because there is a big, bad world out there that's going to try to do that. And there is a very real enemy that's going to try to do that. And what they need to do is be taught to access the promise of Romans chapter 3, 5 and 6. And the conditions are, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge Him. And if those three conditions are met, the promise follows that God will direct. And what my father did is he trusted God. He did not lean on his own understanding, but he regularly into the situations of life acknowledged God. He acknowledged him by coming to him and bringing us to him and speaking to him about life. It wasn't compartmentalized on a Sunday morning. It was his conversation and is his conversation. And so I learned the lesson of a God who wants to be there every step of the way. That really just leads me to the overall big story. And I'll end with this. All of the little stories put together are like pieces of a puzzle. And when each piece is being lived out, fathers, this is the way that it will work in the lives of your children. As each of those pieces are being lived out, you do not necessarily see the lessons that are being taught. You don't necessarily grasp the lessons that are being taught. But as the pieces are put together and you step back and see 
the panoramic view. What you discover, what I discovered because of a father who acknowledged God was that all of those situations in life, God was walking through all of them with us. God was revealing himself through all of them to us. I can see that now as I look back. I didn't see that at 15 and at 18. I see it clearly now, how they fit together. So here's the point. I saw the picture of a God who loves me and wants to be involved in my life. Because, because that picture came through a father who loved me and was involved in my life. A father who took the time to be with me. A father who took the time to play with me. Red rider in hand, and then 22 strapped to my hip, and then large bore magnum lashed to my back. We crossed peaks together and waded streams together and faced storms together and packed meat together. And somewhere somewhere along the way, I caught the lessons and gained the deep convictions that were true in my father's heart through that life exchange. And with those convictions deeply rooted in my heart as well, we scaled the hills and traversed the valleys and made the decisions. We took the time to dig in when we needed to. We did all that we could to prepare and do our best. We worked diligently and then when life threw something at us that we didn't know how to handle. We turned, as we did in every other situation, to the Father above, who was bigger than the problem and bigger than the storm. I'm grateful for that kind of a father, I am inspired to be that kind of a father. Most importantly, I believe that is clearly the call of God to every father.
of any age. I believe it is the call of God to every man in this church to be influential in the lives of those around him to whom he is their senior. We have diligent plans that Pastor John and a team of men have been working on to really be intentional in mentorship, helping fathers to rise up to the call. Get engaged. Prepare right now. Don't wait. Do not wait for the storm to hit. Build the foundation. Set the stones in place. Get anchored on the rock and get your kids anchored on the rock through hearing and obeying the truth of Jesus Christ. Would you please stand? Father, I just pray that you would take truth that burning in my heart but I ignite it Lord in all of our hearts the call be clear give us the will power of your spirit give us the will to obey to follow your lead
is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name. Let the nation sing louder. Nothing has a power to say. Your name. Father's Day.